welcome to Are You Karate Kidding Me? Your source for news, reviews, and items of interest from all across the Miyagi-verse. My name is Colin Kennedy. My name is Jenny Carlson, and we are your hosts tonight. And we come to you back again for our continuing coverage of Cobra Kai Season 4 and all things Miyagi-verse. We've been working very hard on these recaps and these cocktail recipes, (laughs) and we're going to break them all down for you. Today we're going to review Bicephaly, but first I thought I would turn to my partner Jenny and ask you, Jenny, do you have any items of interest from all around the Miyagi-verse. Well, Colin, the Miyagi-verse is a very exciting place to be. It's jumping. It's hopping from Cobra Kai's return to the four-year consideration slash con circuit to, well, gosh, the trailer that's dropped that everybody's talking about. I would say, on top of all that, that the fandom is so big now that I can't keep track of much. But I will say the proliferation of art and excitement and the lead up to season five is mm-hmm. is enthusing and overwhelming. I don't think it comes as any surprise to say that season four has been the most exciting season yet. And so I think one of the side effects is that has generated a fever pitch and in interest for a season five. So, yeah, I, I would say uh, a couple of summers ago we were calling the wait for like season three the cruel summer indeed but i think this season this year i think we've got to go hashtag cool summer well fair i agree with you cool summer it is that's right so tonight we have a drink that colin has brought us colin tell us what we're doing here yes so as everyone knows just to set the table a little bit for some reason as for some reason (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we are literally mixing it up this season. We've introduced this new segment. I don't know if it'll last longer than this season, but we're definitely do one for every episode this season where we are coming up with our own Cobra Kai and Karate Kid-inspired cocktails. We know several characters in the show have their drinks of choice. Johnny goes for the Coors Banquet, which everyone knows is an easy-sipping American lager. Indeed. Daniel likes his martinis ice ice cold. Very cold, yes. Priest has a cutty in water. Yep. But we need some new cocktails, either in honor of other characters or inspired by things we see in the episodes. So for this one, I took a line from something Dimitri says at the movie Mm drive-in where he's like, can you believe they have Dr. Pepper and Mr. Pibb? I wanted to see if they had a cocktail that incorporated Dr. Pepper in some respect, but then I found something much more interesting. Yes, indeed. (laughs) I found a cocktail that is uh, downright eagle fang in its uh, composition and intent. And it's very eagle fang in that you have to set it on fire that's right. For it to work, much like the Flamin' Homer from The Simpsons. Fire makes it good, and it's called the Flaming Dr. Pepper Shot, but we're going to call it the Fire Eagle. Ah, yes. Ah, yes. So what this is, just a touch of amaretto, like a three quarters of an ounce of amaretto, and then another quarter ounce of overproof rum. So this would be rum that's 100 proof or higher. You need it to be over 100 proof because that basically makes it into jet fuel. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so be very careful with it. You don't want to you don't want to drink a lot of this stuff, but it needs to be overproof because you have to set it on fire. That's right. That's right. This is a cocktail that 
involves fire. So this is something that Johnny might enjoy when he's doing his Inglefang training at the old, at the warehouse there. And so it also involves beer, so you can also bust out a Coors Banquet. We know you've already got some Banquet. We know we've already, you've already got some Banquet. Yep. So you want four, about four ounces of beer to the one ounce of Amaretto uh, rum combo, right? So what you're going to do is you're going to pour three quarters of an ounce of that Amaretto into a shot glass. Indeed. You're going to top it off with one quarter ounce of the rum. You want to float it, which means you're going to pour it very gently so that it sits on top of the Amaretto. It looks like something you'd get in 10 forward. Exactly. Yep. Then, then you light it on fire. That's so right. be very careful. Do not set your kitchen on fire. Make sure you know where your fire extinguisher is. Yes. This podcast takes no responsibility and no indemnity for anything. Thing that you happen to do in your own kitchen or drink on your own accord. It's true. But this is just how you make this. Then... Should you choose to accept it. That's right. You and can also just drink Dr. Pepper and drop a match in it. I mean... I mean, you could do that. I don't know, I don't know what will why. happen to I don't you. know why you would want to I do that. I also don't accept responsibility Dr. for Pepper, that. Dr. Pepper will not catch fire when you light it up. But um, Mr. Pib might. Mr. Pip. Anyway, so you take your shot. You take your shot glass full of your That's overproof right. rum and your mm-hmm. amaretto. You set that on fire. Yep. Then some instructions say to tip it directly into your your beer glass, but I don't think that's a great idea because you might get beer everywhere. And you might fire ruin, everywhere. You might get fire everywhere. You might break your shot glass into your beer. Not cool. We don't I, want that. Look, don't get it twisted. Just don't, set it on fire. Just set it on fire. Take a picture. Blow it out. Take a picture, blow it out, and then dump, dump that it into your beer. Into your beer, yep. with it. yeah. And we're and we're all good. And so, and the reason they call it a, a flaming Dr Pepper shot is, for whatever reason, when you drink that combination after having been set on fire, it tastes like Dr Pepper. It also kind of tastes like, high, like highly mis- alcoholic Dr Pepper. Well, or Mr Pib. Or Mr Pib. Indeed. I guess that would depend on what beer you use. I guess if you use a maltier beer, you might get a more Mr Pibby taste. Yeah, that's fair. But yeah. That's where we are at. So yes, that's the Fire Eagle. We don't know what you have to add to it to make it taste like Dr. Thunder. We'll get back to you. Yes, exactly. Yes. And that is our cocktail for today. Indeed. Good luck with that. Or don't do it. In fact, just drink some water and you can keep listening. But if you want to hit pause, run to the liquor store, then come back and join us. We'll be here ready for you. Exactly. So without further ado, I think we should jump into this episode because we've got a long way to go and a short time to get there. That's right. That's so, not me. That's Jerry Reed. True. <laughs> so without further ado, let's jump right into it with Cobra Kai, Season 4, Episode 4, Bicephaly. Bicephaly. We open... On West Valley High, where incoming freshmen are getting a tour of the school. Must be nice. Yeah, indeed. Indeed, it must be nice. We have the feckless teacher from earlier seasons, Dustin Lewis, as Mr. Palmer. And I call him feckless because he was useless during the school fight of season two. Well, Uh, that has not changed because as he gives this tour, he informs the kids that the district has required them to remove anything from the school that could be a potential weapon because of the karate incident. Well, yeah, the students are keen just to see where the fights happen. So even though the fight didn't happen in the lab, he makes it interesting and then says they'll go to the cafeteria where there actually was a fight there. As the kids walk off, we see that... K 
Kenny is looking around, kind of haunted. And Leah is also there with them. They're kind of taking up the back of the pack here. And so they can have a moment of uh, a little bit of a cute back and forth here. Actually, Leah is the one who says that she heard the school was haunted. And, okay, if you really want to get technical about it, the line about being a ghost is from season one episode three when daniel insists on chaperoning that halloween dance and sam reminds him that he's supposed to be a ghost ah i see i mean i guess that's a callback it's something of a callback indeed very different relationship context and kenny's kind of interested in her and she is sassy and points out that his fancy new Cobra Kai t-shirt has some strawberry jam on it. She's sassy, but not in like a snipey way. More of a like a, a cute young Leah Thompson kind of Ally Sheedy kind of, oh, I don't know. Perhaps even in a sort of Elizabeth Shuian kind of way, perhaps? Perhaps. Yeah. At any rate, Kenny's trying to size it up and keeps the repartee going with her, and then it, but immediately scurries off to clean off his shirt. He's in the bathroom cleaning his shirt so that he can get back to impressing her, when all of a sudden, who walks in? No way is Lexi DeMarco going out with you. She's a junior. In comes Nate and Bert. And Nate has explained to Bert that one girl is a... Oh, she's a total jilf. What's that? J-I-L-F. Which is a junior he'd like to... Whoa. Yeah, wow, now I can't unhear that term. But they are interrupted when they notice Kenny and decide to shake him down for his Cobra Kai t-shirt. The red and gold of the Cobra Kai t-shirt might as well form a giant target on Kenny's back here as he's in unfamiliar territory. Maybe they started a kindergarten class? (laughs) Uh. Well, and as they're mocking him, right, Kenny looks hurt and then flashes back to Kyler being mean to him and him lunging at Kyler so he makes a lunge towards Nate and Bert who grabs him from behind but Hawk formerly Hawk the Cobra Kai now Hawk the Eagle Fang grabs Kenny and kind of pulls him aside and knowingly gives him a nod and says hey maybe you're in over your head kid Hawk says thinking about striking first huh and it looks like Hawk might be doing something helpful for Kenny but then he makes it clear that word of advice kid get out of Cobra Kai while you still can because they're about to go down so for Hawk this is still about being the bigger fish right and well for all the Miyagi-Dos and Eagle Fangs alike it's about taking Cobra Kai down a peg so as Nate and Bert walk off we get a trademark Easter egg where Bert says, I think he's going to cry, which is straight out of the Karate Kid when the OG Cobras are bullying Daniel. And we pan out to see the Cobra Kai title card. And then we cut to Miyagi-Do, where Daniel is taking the Eagles through Kata while Johnny looks on disapprovingly. Yeah, he's supposed to be training the Miyagi-Dos in defense. And everybody's getting a little bit better, but Johnny can't get over the fact that Miguel seems to be Daniel's pet. This allows Dimitri to kind of catch Johnny off guard. And because Johnny's attention is divided, he doesn't see that Dimitri's coming in with a kick, and Dimitri kicks him in the face. Shit! Um, I'm not going to get in trouble, am I? Which then causes Johnny to punish Dimitri by making him into, well, a literal punching bag. So, of course, the next thing we see is Dimitri hoisted up in old couch cushions and duct tape while everyone gets to kick the shit out of him. So he's getting parallel treatment to what Hawk got earlier in the season. 
Johnny's still distracted, looks inside to the Miyagi-Do dojo where Daniel is still leading the eagle fangs in a meditation. Meanwhile, Chris kicks Dimitri right in the crotch, so all things are going swimmingly for, well, no one, really. But once the session's over and they're leaving, Johnny asks Miguel if he wants to get food, but Miguel says he's going to go with Mr. LaRusso to finish working on his mom's car. Miguel can't be lured away by Johnny's offer of a spicy manwich. And, of course, Johnny is unimpressed by this news and even less impressed when he hears Miguel calling Daniel Sensei as they step into the car. As Johnny gets into the Eagle Fang Mobile, we <laughs> cut over to Cobra Kai, where Kyler is eager to watch Bloodsport. Yes, indeed, the old John Claude Van Damme movie, which Robbie says Johnny left a copy of at his house as a kid, and it was the only evidence that Johnny existed. Tori apparently drops some details that she probably can't make the big Bloodsport show because she's got a new job. When Robbie presses her, she tells him that. She's interning at none of your business. Yeah, Tori just doesn't tell us much about her new job except that her boss is a creep. Meanwhile, Kenny comes in to narc on Hawk. Yeah, Kenny says he got shook down at school, and when he describes Hawk as having spiky red hair, Kyler, Robbie, and Tori all exhale, noting, as Tori says, We still owe that Judas some payback. Spiky red hair, you say. A lot of attitude, you say. There's only one ex-Cobra who would dare give me the raspberry. Lone Star! No, wait, it's Hawk! (laughs) We don't have much time to plot that payback right now because Kreese calls the class in in order to introduce a new sensei. Kreese says there is only one way forward, the way of the fist, but that doesn't mean that they can't double down. And so, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the ring the co-founder of Cobra Kai... The master of the Quicksilver method, one of the most ferocious fighters in the history of the sport, Sensei Terry Silver! Chris says that he is now here to help the students prepare for the All Valley, and my God, Thomas Ian Griffith is tall and intimidating. Terry projects extreme calm. He tells the students it's an honor to be here. Chris explains that with two senseis, you will receive twice the instruction. So they have to be twice as prepared if they're not going to put in 200%. Then you can leave right now. Terry picks up where Kreese left off, saying that... But if you dig in and follow our lead, we're going to take you to the next level. So Robbie and Tori look impressed by this new development. Two times the senseis means two times the trouble. Prepare for trouble! Make it double! But things aren't as impressive at Reseda Flats. Someone who's in equal trouble (laughs) is probably Johnny right now, because we cut to Carmen's bedroom? What? Yeah, first of all, what a nice wicker headboard that Carmen has, right? It definitely lets us know that even though the room is very similar to Johnny's bedroom, it's in fact Carmen's bedroom. And Johnny and Carmen are in bed, and it appears that Johnny can't put out. I swear this has never, ever happened to me. Carmen says that working at the hospital... I do have access to certain medications. But Johnny won't accept it because he's 100% all man. Find someone who loves you enough to sneak you medication under the table. But yeah, Johnny is, is disappointed at his lack of performance. Unfortunately, we don't really get to see what they tried. You know, maybe Carmen could try some sexy ASMR or something, get him going that way. Wow. But. 
I don't know. We'll see. I just, I don't even want to go down the road of wondering what kind of ASMR Johnny Lawrence listens to. Indeed. <laughs> it's, it's probably uh, very, very manly. Anyway. Yeah, uh, but Johnny doesn't need pills, right? He explains, despite being 100% all man. He's distracted by he, LaRusso and Miguel. That's right. I mean, Carmen doesn't mind because it means that she and Johnny get more time together. Which is very sweet. But Johnny can't have it because Daniel showed Miguel Top Gun. A crime. A crime. That's right. Which leads to one of my favorite bits, which is Johnny is pissed not only that Daniel showed Miguel Top Gun, but Johnny, being the quintessential 80s movie villain, can't help but see Top Gun from the perspective of Iceman. Iceman, best of the best, abs for days. In comes this new guy, total dweeb, calls himself a maverick. Can't call yourself a maverick. (laughs) It's this exchange that makes me want to hear Johnny's uh, podcast review show for all 80s movies. Carmen says, Tom Cruise is so handsome. And Johnny says, absolutely not. The real hero of Top Gun is Iceman. The real deal. Best of the best. Abs for days. Now, I have to quibble with that because I'm not sure Johnny would know a phrase like abs for days. Is this about Top Gun or is it about Johnny and Daniel? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So Carmen says this is really about Miguel. She says they need to tell Miguel about their relationship. But Johnny's afraid that this could make the situation worse. This is a really sweet exchange because Carmen says with total knowledge, you know, Mickey loves you. How could it make things worse? She says that you can tell him, Johnny, but I know it'll make you feel better. Well, Johnny has a moment to ponder that and ponder some other classic 80s movies. <laughs> well, we trying, cut. trying to remember what Biff from Back to the Future is up to, but... Cut to uh, LaRusso Auto, where Miguel has had to give up a Saturday to work on a car. We get to see some Miyagi-Do in action. Yeah, Miguel says he never knew so much about alternators and pumps. Um, and adds that Carmen will be happy now that the car is fixed because she can go on dates, so maybe they shouldn't have fixed the car after all. Which means that Miguel is still in the dark about Johnny and Carmen. He has not put two and two together, despite the fact that they live across the hall from each other, and he heard Carmen whispering something the other night in the bedroom. And At any rate, Daniel LaRusso, child of a single mom, says that his mom called it going to lunch with a friend. Yikes. Oh, and then Daniel drops the biggest bomb of all is that his mom dated the history teacher for Karate Kid 1. One time I caught her on a date with Mr. Harris, my history teacher. Talk about awkward. <laughs> but he gave me an A, though, so there's an upside. She, I cannot believe she dated Mr. Harris. Like, that guy would not shut up about his job. Yeah. But but Daniel got an A, right? So it could be worse. Yeah, exactly. It's like dating Mr. Palmer. Like who who wants that? It is. It is exact it would be like if Carmen left Johnny for Mr. Palmer. Yeah, WTF. Although who could Lucille have dated in the original Karate Kid? It's not like she was gonna hook up with Crease. Not a lot of options there. Not that a is lot of true. options. Indeed. Yeah. Justice for Lucille. Exactly. But maybe she was happy with just seeing Mr. Harris intermittently. At any rate, they finished fixing the car. Daniel tells Miguel to start it up, and it works. So you know, success. Success. Claims. Indeed, Daniel says Miguel is a natural. Then he gets in the passenger seat and says, since they have to meet Sam and Amanda at a party, Miguel, who has never driven, 
should back them out nice and slow. Nice and slow, no surprises. Indeed, yeah, Daniel doesn't care that Miguel doesn't know how to drive because this is the Miyagi-verse in California where I guess you just don't get in trouble for that. At any rate, Miguel backs up the way Daniel originally went forward the first time he drove with Mr. Miyagi in the Karate Kid. That's kind of... Good call out on that Easter egg. If you're on that Easter egg hunt, that's definitely one of them. That's one of my favorites because it has the, the two Karate Kids together and Daniel being so patient and tolerant, just like Mr. Miyagi, and he tells Miguel, you're doing great. Meanwhile, across town at a kid's birthday party, Sam and Amanda are in attendance. Sam is not thrilled to be attending, but apparently it's for Sheila's daughter, Cindy. This is a dealership adjacent function, well, I Sheila's guess. Sheila's very nice. Like, she puts up with oh, so sure. much stuff. Yeah. At any rate, Amanda's annoyed that Sam's annoyed, given that Sam babysat for Cindy and they've known Sheila forever. I mean, come on. Yeah. Sam would rather be anywhere but here. So cut to a backstage area where a tracking shot shows us women in a kind of dressing room wearing bikini tops or bras, and it's not clear what else. And a scuzzy dressed guy comes in to say they're on. Let's go, ladies. Time is money. They're not going to wait all day. We see that the woman at the mirror closest to him is actually Tori. What? She is underwhelmed because he got her name wrong, and he also tells her to make her lips redder. Yeah. So what's going on? Well, Tori's getting made up for a big bait and switch because on the next cut, it turns out that Tori's job is actually as a mermaid at said same kid's birthday party. Y'all thought Tori was stripping, didn't you? This is an area that Cobra Kai lives in is this kind of nebulous area as to how adult to get with their content. Like in one scene earlier in the episode, we're talking about jilfs. And they're kind of laying in these little clues earlier in the episode to kind of push your mind towards more adult areas so that when they drop this scene, you're already thinking some sort of adult club. And then they flip it on us and make it into kids' birthday party. A classic Miyagi-Do reversal. I remember when, when, when a shot from this scene was included in a trailer and people were like, what is going on? Because she was dressed up in costume and she does look kind of like a mirror universe Ariel from The Little Mermaid. Because the women file out in what looks like wigs and outfits and it looks like they're going to be doing something on stage. They're really just fake mermaids at this birthday party at a kid's playland. Yeah, they're all mermaids except one who apparently gets to wear pants like she's just a pirate. Did she forget her tail or something? Good or for her. They can only rent like five uh, mermaid outfits it's or something. That, that long-awaited Our Flag Means Death crossover. Now, every pirate captain captains pirates differently. So, Tori puts on a hyped expression for the kids, but then locks eyes with Sam, who is now delighted. This is now the only place that Sam wants to be. Now, speaking of somewhere that Tori doesn't want to be, we're in the back room of Cobra Kai right now, where Kenny is sparring with Robbie in the special ops room. Yeah, Robbie's training Kenny with the arm pads, and Kenny asks Robbie if they're going to get payback with Hawk, but Robbie tells Kenny to focus on his combos, and Kenny says he's been practicing and he's got all his moves down, to which Robbie answers, is that so? And sweeps Kenny's leg. Yeah, Kenny's got all his combos down. Up, up, down, right, left kick, right kick, <laughs> BA select start. He's got the combo breaker. He's got chicken and waffles. He's got the Popeye's biscuits. He's got every combo you could possibly want. And so, you know, Robbie wants Kenny to be sure to understand that balance is key, right? More than anything else. If he's got his balance, then he can keep it together. But they hear a kind of chortle off to the side, right? Well, because Robbie has the audacity to say the M word inside Cobra Kai, which is that 
the idea that Miyagi-Do is all about balance. Did he say Miyagi-Do, though, or did he just... Yes. Robbie explains that the Miyagi-Do theory of balance, you know, busting out the Daniel Russo playbook when they hear Terry Silver standing in the doorway in the hall watching them. Well, he chuckles at them, right? Yeah. And so, Okay, that's when they hear Terry Silver chuckling in the doorway, (laughs) and the camera pans over to see Terry Silver watching them. It's uh, it's a Cobra Kai lesson. I was just using a Miyagi-Do. It's okay. And Terry says, it's okay, you know, balance is crucial. Calling back to the Karate Kid 3 and Cobra Kai Season 1. A man can't stand. He can't fight. That's right. Terry asks Kenny to give him and Mr. Keen a moment alone. Terry has come to deliver his TED Talk about the Quicksilver method, a.k.a. if a man can't stand, he can't fight. You have to have enough... T- well, you Terry know. says... Sensei Kreese told me all about you. Trained in Miyagi-Do, now Cobra Kai. You'll have enough skills to kick all our asses. And Robbie says... I'll do whatever it takes to win. So Terry's like, well, then show me. So Robbie holds back. You can see that, Car- that the Terry really wants to kind of prey upon Robbie, and he's he's getting the thrill from it all. And Robbie shows him some moves, but Terry pretty easily drops him to the ground. He even gives us a trademark. Lisa! Which is, you know, our clue that Terry's hungry for blood. Terrence! Okay. He keeps going and smiles with pleasure as he kicks Robbie to the ground, knocks his wind out. It's no surprise that Terry's got the drop on Robbie here, because Terry has amazing reach compared to Robbie. Thomas Ian Griffith is almost two heads higher than Tanner. So yeah, it's going to be very tough to get a, a shot in on Terry unless you're very quick or very, very flexible. And Terry is also very insightful. He says, you've learned to channel your fear to Robbie, but you're afraid. And Robbie replies, I'm not afraid of anything. And Terry says, you lying to me or yourself? So Terry is basically an evil Yoda. You've learned to channel your anger, but you're afraid. I'm not afraid of anything. You will be. You will be. And Robbie does look a little freaked out by that revelation. So now Robbie's like going to be very interested in rooting out his fear and conquering it. Perhaps so interested that he won't identify the true source of his fear. Speaking of fear, <laughs> cutting a, we cut across town to Casa de Johnny, where Johnny is reviewing his Facebook history with Miguel, when, much like many boomers, he clicks on the wrong button and accidentally discovers internet porn. He's technically a Cro-Magnon Gen Xer, right? Your world frightens and confuses me. At any rate, Johnny's drinking a banquet and looking at his Facebook account. It's time to ask a search portal for answers. So he asks the internet, you know, a question we've all asked. How do I tell my student I'm begging his mom? Once again, Johnny lands on creepy porn, is disinterested, and crumples up his can. Well, he's interested, but he's also like, eh, not now. Is he really interested? Hang on, let's look at his face. <laughs> okay, let's go to the replay. <laughs> I don't tell my student that I'm banging his, his mom. Re- go back to his predictive text. That's 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 as funny, too. How do I tell my students I'm leaving? How do I tell them if my student loans are federal? How do I tell my students I'm pregnant? <laughs> How do I tell my students I'm engaged? How did, what, man, there's a lot going on in this search portal, in this algorithm. How do I tell my students that I'm hungover? Maybe Johnny should have stopped on that result. How do I tell my students that I'm banging his mom? No, no, he's not interested in any of the moms with moves. 
He's so confused. At any rate, instead... His browser he, practically explodes with pop-ups. Indeed. He will instead finish his course banquet, but then in looking at his banquet can, we see him flashing back to an earlier time when a very young Johnny Lawrence was playing with G.I. Joe and exclaiming that the good guy always wins. Flashback 1970-something. Small Johnny is playing with an with an OG G.I. Joe with Kung Fu Grip. And here is G.I. Joe with Kung Fu Grip. The Easter egg there, because yeah. everybody in this show has Kung Fu Grip technically. Well, more karate grip, but you get it. That's when his mom comes in to give him the bad news about Sid. So Laura Well, it's good news for her, bad news for Johnny. Indeed. She comes in and finds Johnny in his pajamas with his toys and says, Do you remember that man Sid that we went out to dinner with? And Johnny, already with a trademark wit, says, The fat bald guy? Looking trepidatious, right? Mm-hmm. Laura says that, no, he's nice. He proposed, and she shows Johnny the big rock on her finger and says, He proposed. Isn't it beautiful? This means you're going to have a new daddy. Things are going to be better. But, of course, Johnny is not interested. Kid Johnny shouts, No! And runs into his room. And in his room, Johnny goes under his bed to grab a junk drawer basically the johnny lawrence starter set he's got empty cans of banquet he's got eight tracks of all your favorite power ballads banging 70s hits indeed yeah he's got the whole magilla down there i didn't know they had banquet in 1970 something i need to do my research at any rate it becomes clear to laura that this is stuff from johnny's dad and she's like he left us and says that she's gonna throw this stuff away and which is deeply upsetting to Johnny. You save his things, Johnny's like, well, I was going to make a G.I. Joe playset out of all the banquet cans. <laughs> for She also found a camera in there, which, who knows, that could be f- um, fodder for later revelations. But yeah. she tells Johnny that he has a new daddy now. She walks up with the box, and the little kid looks on and looks exactly like an unimpressed Billy Zabka, who, back in present times, Johnny crumples up his can and leans back in his chair trying to figure out what to do. Now, cut to the Encino common sign that Miguel and Daniel are driving under. So Miguel and Daniel are driving down the road and Daniel is singing along to Christopher Cross and (laughs) Daniel also gives Miguel the complete info dump on Yacht Rock. Thank goodness. Oh, hi, I'm Hollywood Steve. From 1976 to 1984, the radio airwaves were dominated by really smooth music, also known as Yacht Rock. Yeah, we know that Christopher Cross doesn't authorize the use of his songs on just any show, right? Because Yacht Rock is so unfairly maligned. So this loving tribute has obviously earned his approval. Yeah, Daniel says there were some soft rock songs that were just perfect. Michael McDonald, Billy Joel. These yacht rockers docked a remarkable fleet of number one hits, and every song has a story behind it. Let me tell you one. Like Chicago, for example. Who's Chicago? I'm gonna pretend you didn't say that. And Miguel doesn't know who Chicago is. That's what Johnny said to Miguel, too, about hair bands, right? Indeed. Yep. Like Guns N' Roses. Yeah. And Miguel is driving a bit like Johnny at first, but with a few quick corrections, Daniel says when Miguel's driving with his daughter, he's got to take some precautions. Are we only talking about cars here, or are we talking about something else? Hey, now. Yeah, there's a double meaning in that. The dad talk continues, and of course, Daniel, as always, reps for Mr. Miyagi. Miguel's getting some free driver's ed out of Daniel, and of course, Daniel never one shy away from giving lessons. I'm surprised he doesn't wedge a bonsai tree in there somewhere. Well, I mean, here's my question about this. Like, Daniel wants to teach so badly. Why doesn't he just open up a driver's ed school? Like, he doesn't have to 
teach karate. How do we know that LaRusso Auto doesn't have a driver's ed branch? Maybe we'll find out next season. Maybe next season. Yeah, Daniel says he's lucky he had Mr. Miyagi, so before that, other kids had dads and he didn't. But someone can fill that role. Meanwhile, across town, Johnny just has like a tingle in his spine and he's just like, are my ears burning? (laughs) No, but Miguel says he has a dad and Daniel asks if he ever sees him. But Miguel says no. He says that... I looked him up. Says he lives in Mexico now. But... I haven't told my mom, though, because he gets mad whenever I bring him up. Exactly. Yeah, Miguel says his dad is also MIA and some... Vague reference to him doing some illegal stuff. What, like downloading movies? I don't know. What are we talking about here? You wouldn't steal a car. You wouldn't steal a baby. Downloading films is stealing. Daniel says, you know, continuing, he was upset at his mom for moving him to L.A. at first. You know, because the theme is that Miguel's father was a disappointment and so Carmen moved on to give them a better life. So Daniel says that he was upset at his own mom for moving them to LA but you know he sees now that this was actually brave of her and he adds it was brave of Carmen too seeking out a better life. It may not seem like it Daniel explains but sometimes avoiding conflict is the bravest thing you can do. And so then conveniently now we have another red light that Miguel pulls right up to showing us that he's learned the lesson of the scene. He stopped at a stoplight. Well, well done. You did it. Uh, cut to the birthday party where Tori has the green light on this children's story. She's in her mermaid garb. She's got all the kids gathered around. She's telling the story of two princes. One prince who adores you. Another prince wants to buy you rockets. You know, yada yada. Did it, did it. So, Sam interrupts and asks if the prince that she's talking about right now is the prince that she stole from someone else. Tori stays in the same idiom, but responds to Sam in kind, saying she wasn't dating Dating the prince prince anymore. anymore. Sam is giving Tori's story a MST3K-style riffing. Yeah, Tori says instead she had to save the prince, but Sam has to come back again, using what? A spiked bracelet or nunchucks? And Tori replies, she put the dragon to sleep with a lullaby, singing a magic song. And then the children want Tori to sing the song, so she improvises a song of Beautiful Dragon to the tune of Beautiful Beautiful Dreamer. Beautiful Dragon, please go to sleep. Sunset is falling, now time to count sheep. (laughs) Wow, and I thought you were bad at fighting. (laughs) Sam's aggro. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Aggro Sam. Mm Mm-hmm. After Sam walks away, Tori narks on Sam as a witch and tells the kids that the only way to beat her witch is the same way you beat me when you send mail, and that is a glitter bomb. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's Carrie Fisher designing the artillery for this fight. <laughs> Tori tells the students that the only way you can take the evil witch spotted around the valley out is with this glitter bomb, and so the children run at Sam, throw the glitter on her, and scream, So probably Sam is ready to leave now. Oh, for sure. And Tori Mimes giving Sam a kiss and walks off. Meanwhile, 
at Casa de Johnny. Johnny is trying to cook up the manliest man in which he can manage. Uh, too bad he didn't stay on the computer long enough to see Cowboy Kent's cooking channel. Now folks, these sloppy joes is handy and they easy to make. So Johnny's making this manwich ground beef and beef jerky combo on the stove and it looks like he's got a hot date with Miguel as the music from the radio says it's going to push it to the limit. Johnny utters it's not manly enough as he starts dumping more more jerky into the manwich mix. So there's a knock at the door and Johnny takes a pause from his culinary innovations to open the door. He's expecting Miguel, but instead he finds Robbie there. Again, an expertly played scene. And we see Billy Zabka not wanting to deal with this right now, but also not able to say no to Robbie at first. Johnny's immediately awkward, invites him in, but Robbie's just there to say, I'm just trying to help this kid, but if those assholes don't knock it off, I'll do what I have to. Don't do anything stupid. Yeah, Robbie is here to narc on Hawk and some of Johnny's other students saying that they've been bullying Kenny at school and he says to stop or there'll be payback. Robbie appears to deliver this ultimatum on Kenny's behalf. Yeah, Johnny thinks this is a crease thing, but Robbie says he'll do what it takes to make it stop. Johnny's doubling down, saying... Crease is brainwashing you just like he brainwashed me. Of course, Johnny doesn't understand that Terry is doing the brainwashing now. But Robbie has a counterpoint to Johnny. He says, you put all your trust in Crease. I don't trust anyone. Anymore. And also adds, I'm just using Cobra Kai to get what I want. Because for as long as I can remember, I've been afraid that I would end up like you. So now Robbie thinks that he's weaponized his fear. He's giving Johnny the what fur. Neither Johnny nor Robbie see Terry Silver coming. So Johnny tells Robbie that unless there's anything else to talk about, they're done here. So his resolve is strengthened, right? And Robbie walks off and Johnny slams the door. This is really well done. This is a gutting scene between the two of them here at the midpoint of the season. Well, this is spurred on by Terry, right? Like, Of course. Can it, like, Robbie thinks that Johnny is the thing that he's afraid of, so he goes to confront Johnny. But if Robbie can confront Johnny so easily, then maybe Johnny wasn't the thing that Robbie was afraid of, eh? Makes you think. Mm. But enough about that. We've got to cut to another terrifying situation. This, this birthday party that just won't end. Yeah. It seems that Daniel and Miguel have now arrived. Yeah, Daniel's telling Miguel that he did a great job. They should pick up his license. So at least someone acknowledges that you need a driver's license to drive. Yeah. Even in California and even in the Miyagi-verse. Miguel makes a beeline straight over to Sam. And Sam provides him with a jealousy kiss so that Tori can look on. Uh, Tori gets fed up with it and bolts. The boss yells no breaks in the background so we know that Tori's canned again. And next we see her, she's pushing out the back door in normal clothes. Tori, wait! And Amanda comes after her and says, I know the situation with your mom is tough. No, no you don't know. So why don't you just stay out of it? Okay. Yeah, Amanda follows Tori outside to provide some trademark Amanda realness. Tori does not take it well, as usual. Situation normal for Tori, but then again, Tori rarely takes anything well. Yeah, she yells at Amanda, uh, and Amanda just wants to impress upon Tori that... Just know that the world isn't out to get you. Tori says it doesn't matter if you handle my own shit. But Amanda makes one final point before walking back inside. No one can help you if you don't let them. If you ask... You might be surprised. Cut back to Casa del Johnny, where Johnny's got the table set. He's got the hamburger buns at the ready. He's sprinkling what looks like pepper on the manwich mix when he hears Miguel 
arriving outside. Well, he goes outside to grab Miguel. Wait a second. So how do the cars work? Daniel and Miguel, we last we saw them were in Carmen's Toyota, driving toward Reseda through the Encino Commons. Mm-hmm. And then Daniel and Miguel went to pick up Sam and Amanda. So how does Miguel get back to Reseda Flats? Was he in Carmen's Toyota by himself? Did they drop off Carmen's Toyota at Reseda Flats? before continuing on to the Playland party? Or was there something else? I think the obvious answer is Miguel takes Carmen's Toyota home. He drives solo for the first time? I mean, if they've already got his permit, he should be good to go, right? Well, it's California, man. They got men in chicken suits. They got prom. Is a mm-hmm. completely different? I don't know. But the point is... Miguel does not have a driver's license. I like to think that they dropped off the Toyota and continued on to the Playland in a... No, but that doesn't make sense either. So they caravan back. Ah. Yes. Let's go back to Casa del Johnny. (laughs) Meanwhile, back at Casa del Johnny. Indeed. Yeah. Johnny is desperately trying to lure Miguel in with his man, which is... Johnny never prepared this much for a date or anything else in his life. But right now he's got the table set. He's got the hamburger buns at the ready. He's sprinkling what looks like pepper on the meat. He goes outside to grab Miguel, inviting him in for a bite. There's something he wants to talk about. But Miguel says that he had already eaten. He ate dinner at the LaRusso's. Of course he did. Yeah. And and only a crazy person would eat multiple meals to try and make everyone happy. And you personally would know. (laughs) At any rate, Miguel had that early dinner with the LaRusso's and says it was Katsuya. It sounds fancy. It sounds like a sushi place. And, of course, Mr. LaRusso is friends with the chef. And he also adds that he's got this thing with Sam later. And Johnny is, you know, trying to start at square one. He says, you know, it seems you've been spending a lot of time with LaRusso lately. Yeah, and Miguel says, yeah, he showed me how to fix my mom's car, told me how to drive. And then adds, how come you haven't told me about Chicago? To which Johnny snaps back, what happened in Chicago? Now we could take several runs at this joke. Miguel says, Mr. LaRusso told me about air supply. And Johnny snaps back, well, what happened to the air supply? Miguel says, Mr. LaRusso told me about the the, and Johnny says, what's happening? Why are you stuttering? Spit it out, kid. Yeah. Miguel says, Mr. LaRusso told me about the Alan Parsons project, and Johnny's like, The Alan Parsons project, which I believe was some sort of hovercraft. Wow. Classic. So, at any rate, Johnny cannot believe that Daniel taught Miguel about soft rock. I mean, right? Like, not only is this not a manly night, but it's an anti-manly night. I don't know. You can't get much more manly than Yacht Rock. Sipping a Corona on the deck of your own yacht as it cruises up the Palisades. You can't beat that. Fair. I mean, yeah. But that's another story. I'm Hollywood Steve. Good night. So anyway, Miguel asked Johnny what he wanted to talk about, but Johnny doesn't even know where to begin. So he just says nothing. Do your thing. (sighs) Miguel is way into Chicago, the band, not the city. Johnny wants to break the news, but Miguel gives Johnny a rain check. Miguel says, what about tomorrow? He's, he, you can make man witches. And Johnny's like, sure. The thrill is gone, right? The thrill is gone. Cut to the drive-in. Cut to the fateful night at the drive-in. Uh, Bloodsport is on offer. And Kyler and the Cobras are eating it up. And speaking of eating it up, this is a very loving Easter egg for Jean-Claude Van Damme, who loves Cobra Kai. Right? 
That's right. The other thing that the Cobras are eating up is everything in the snack bar. So give me two buckets of popcorn with butter, four large Cokes, two hot dogs with mustard, no ketchup, and a pretzel. Oh, and some nachos with extra cheese and jalapeno poppers, all right? And whose job is it to procure but Kenny, the new kid? That's right. And uh, with Kenny serving as gopher, Tori has an opportunity to mope in the back seat with Robbie. Yeah, she says she had a shitty day, and he cleverly responds that he would ask, but he knows it's none of his business, calling back to earlier when she was snappish with him when he tried to ask her how she was doing. Look, you don't tug on Superman's cape, you don't spit into the wind, and don't ever ask Tori how she's doing. Meanwhile, Kyler is sending Kenny to the snack bar with an impossible order, and Kenny looks deflated. So Robbie gets out of the car and kindly tells Kenny he's just hazing the new guy. And Give me Butterfinger. Robbie's a real Bart Simpson. Nobody better lay a finger on my Butterfinger. And Kenny heads to the snack bar where, unfortunately, he runs right into Eagle Fang Miyagi Do. I'm sorry. Kids. More specifically, he walks right into Hawk, Nate, and Bert. Piece of shit. When Kenny returns with this gargantuan order. Sure to watch where you're going, kid. The same goes for you. Well, Hawk knocks the stuff out of his hands, and Robbie gets out of the car to stick up for Kenny. And, of course, when Robbie walks up, Nate tells him he betrayed Miyagi-Do. Calls him a traitor. You betrayed Miyagi-Do. Traitor. But then Tori and the rest of the Cobras come up behind Robbie, and the two sides line up. This is a, leads to an all-hands-on-deck rumble. We've got Tori, we've got Sam. At some point, Sam gets called Princess. Well, excuse me, Princess. Well, the tension is cut somewhat by Dimitri, who walks up in shock because this drive-in has both Mr. Pibb and, and Dr. Pepper. Wow. So, but Dimitri also says it's not another rumble. Dimitri doesn't want any part of this. And Miguel tries to de-escalate, saying they'll beat them on the mat. And Robbie notes, you remember what happened the last time we fought. So that's great that Robbie is threatening Miguel with further paralysis. And so Miguel, over it, says, well, then they'll meet on the baseball diamond in 30 minutes. Gotta hand it to Miguel, his poker face is incredible. Now that Miguel is offered to take it to the baseball diamond. Cut to the baseball diamond, where... Robbie says they'll be there as the Cobras come out onto an empty field. The lights cut out, the sprinklers come on, and the Yagidos right away celebrating their easy victory. Except for Sam, who looks a bit stressed. Yeah, I mean, clearly this is a heightening redo of what we saw in the Karate Kid when, John, when Daniel dropped the hose on Johnny on Halloween, right? And the Cobra Kai's see the Miyagi Fangs driving away. Kyler's like, what are we going to do? And they're going to get payback. Kyler wants to hit them with the home invasion, cut to Cobra Kai, where he's telling all the kids what they're going to have to do. And back in the special ops room, Kreese and Terry are processing this latest development. Kreese wants retaliation. He says, as long as LaRusso and Lawrence are together, our students have a target on their back. Kreese wants to strike back, but Terry says they have to learn from their mistakes. Terry's not interested in this Penny Annie bullshit. We have to learn from our mistakes. What mistakes? Smash cut to everything Crease has ever done. Yeah, so, you know, Terry points out that, like, he's here to make these kids winners. And then he says to Crease, You had the entire valley in the palm of your hand, and you blew it. And he blew it. And you blew it! 
because of his rivalry with Miyagi. And this is a really important moment for John Kreese and Martin Cove because he gets to justify Kreese's behavior over all of these years from the perspective of John Kreese. What is this moment that makes Kreese the hero of his own story? He says, You weren't there. I'll never forget that morning when Johnny Lawrence, my champion, came into the dojo with a black eye and his confidence. Shut. I wasn't going to let that old man get away with that. Now, I have a question about this. Like, does this mean that what Mr. Miyagi did is equal to what Kreese did in the eyes of the show? Because no. At any rate, Kreese adds that Johnny's confidence was shattered. But Terry says, We're the old men, and we should use the wisdom we've learned. Cobra Kai, he says, It was never about revenge. It was about building strength. By taking your fears and turning them into a weapon. Chris has a point here. An old man beat up a bunch of his kids. <laughs> so the very least Chris can do now that he's an old man is go beat up a bunch of Larissa's kids. <laughs> Terry talks a big game about Cobra Kai's founding principles of taking fear and turning it into a weapon. Terry has an idea. Terry has not has some kind of game plan here. Yeah, now we're seeing what they each got out of Cobra Kai from the start, right? With Kreese, it was payback to the captain who threatened him. Like, like directly striking against this. And with Terry, it was about turning fear into power. And, you know, Kreese says, you're saying after they humiliate our students, we just stand down and do nothing? And Terry says, I didn't say do nothing. So Terry's beginning to see the writing on the wall, right? Crease is still the same, but Terry's got some tricks up his sleeve. Henceforth, Miguel Diaz shall be known as the Rainmaker. El Diablo de la Lluvia! <laughs> so cut to Miyagi-Do, where the Miyagi-Dos and the Eagle Fangs are very happy with their clever, if cowardly, solution. Johnny as the victim of a vicious soaking is none too happy. Yeah, the kids are celebrating their victory and Johnny comes up to hear the story. So you picked the fight. And says, didn't show up and then you doused him with the hose. And Dimitri unhelpfully adds, oh, it was sprinklers. I'll go back to saying nothing. Which is, of course, all a trigger for Johnny. And then Daniel walks up and says, from everything I heard about last night, it sounds to me like Miguel practiced restraint. Daniel, as a certified soaker of people himself, is is very pleased with the solution. Serious Eddie Haskell vibes off Daniel's self-satisfaction at this time. He Indeed. says, I'm proud of you. You've taken Miyagi-Do teachings to heart. And Johnny's like, well, yeah, if Miyagi-Do teachings only lead to people getting wet, then mission accomplished. Daniel is pleased that there wasn't another massive karate fight, but Johnny knows that they've just poked the bear. Yeah, and of course Daniel's proudly clapping Miguel on the back, which is another trigger for Johnny. Yeah, they also deny us the spectacle of a Twister-level drive-in movie catastrophe. Yeah, I mean, it's too early in the season for the quote-unquote big fight, but uh, I would have loved to see just a massive karate fight at this drive-in. They could have had a lot of fun with that. It looks like Johnny's going to finally get Daniel alone and talk to him. He says they need to talk, and Johnny steps up to Daniel. But that's when Terry shows up. That's right. Daniel's eye is drawn not to Johnny, but to the side gate, where we cut to the side of Crease and Terry's long legs walking into the dojo as sound clips and flashbacks of Terry tormenting Daniel interspersed with this footage. And as they walk up to a stricken looking Daniel, Terry says, Gentlemen, it seems we have a few things to discuss. Boy, do we ever. And and snake. snake. And with that, we conclude Cobra Kai, season four, episode four, 
Bicephaly. So, Jenny, now is the time in every episode where I turn to you and I ask, what did you think about this episode? What a delight, right? I mean, I'm always enthusiastic about this show, but there are a lot of really cool scenes in this that set you up to reminisce and sort of heighten the show, like Daniel and Miguel hanging out, Miguel doing the same kind of thing Daniel did, Daniel singing Yacht Rock, mm-hmm. just excellent. Yeah, I agree. They really take their time and have a lot of fun with this episode in specific. I feel out of every episode in this season is definitely a banger. It's just deciding how much of a banger it is and in what capacity. And I think how it bangs, how it bangs. And I think in this episode specifically, they have a lot of fun taking our expectations and kind of flipping them around on us, most notably with the backstage stuff with Tori, but also with Miguel being, like, super into Daniel's whole style and ease, his steez, if you will. Like, yeah, there's a lot of fun little twists and turns and reversals in this episode that make it make it tremendous fun to watch especially this early in the season when they're still setting up a lot of things it all still feels earned it all still feels like it's organically coming out of things that they've set up in the previous episodes and it's completely organic that the fun reversal that we don't get the karate fight right that miguel having hung out all day and and longer with daniel larusso thinks oh we'll just we'll just humiliate them and move on we'll just soak them we'll give them a good soaking indeed so yeah disappointing and also kind of scary because no one yet except for daniel who is handling it badly Mm -hmm. realizes that terry silver is the danger yes he is the danger he is he is the one who knocks and he's gonna knock you over (laughs) with that long reach of his yeah in fact i would like to accelerate to the mvp portion and go ahead and say that terry silver is my mvp for this episode and i don't think i've ever given him that designation before so congrats to thomas ian griffith for for putting us there because he gives the show some real philosophical heft in his disagreement with crease he really lays out how this character has become so dominant in the world it's not just his father's money it's that he sees a path to power not just strength but power and crease because of his street smarts or because of his particular damage wants to fight blow for blow whereas terry wants to play chess that is a great point terry is the strategist which practically no one else on the field is that's the thing that sets terry apart and makes him such a dangerous bad guy and i think it's a great idea that they've locked into this idea that terry is a different kind of villain and he's a more tactical thinker than the rest of them because again that's one of the few things that distinguish terry as a bad guy in karate kid 3 despite even though in karate kid 3 they painted him as definitely more of a maniac they kind of reverse engineer that to conclude that well there's a reason he must have gotten to where he is in life you know whether he inherited money or not he runs the company he pulls these strings he's a string puller he's a guy who likes to work behind the scenes he's a guy who likes to set things up and he'll get his hands dirty if he has to but his main strength comes from setting up others to do his dirty work and i think that is very key to understanding terry 
Silver as a character. Yeah, I mean, I think if we want to get really nerdy about it, the distinction between Terry and Kreese in classical philosophy and in continental philosophy and the history of philosophy, you've got Kreese, who's sort of like Hobbes's Leviathan. You know, life is nasty, brutish, and short. And Thomas Hobbes versus John Locke is an old-school philosophical debate of, you know, Locke being more for liberal reason and thinking, and, and Hobbes saying, you know, life is just it's a struggle and who in in our political institutions are about struggle you know crease is all about the struggle continue the struggle fight the struggle terry equally pessimistic but maybe more machiavellian wants to move the chess pieces wants to dominate wants to at least generously wants to train other kids to learn to dominate but he's more about these power games and he's nerdier about it that's who the twig was the nerdier guy, the more privileged guy, the guy with the books, the guy who took a lot of psych classes. Yes. Because he definitely went to college, right? This is Terry. And so the, no one sees him coming because, of course, Daniel, now that he sees Terry, you can see from his face, he's not taking it well, as I've said. Rest assured, he will not do a good job of explaining the situation to others involved. You know, No one else understands what Terry can do including Robbie, who thinks he's got it all figured out. But, you know, the real lever of the season came in the interaction between Robbie and Terry in this episode. When Terry planted the seed in Robbie of overcoming his fear, it was both true of Terry to say and a manipulation. What do you think about the episode? I've said a lot, so I'm curious. Who is your MVP? I think I'm going to have to give my MVP, which is our kind of quasi-award for... Oh, I know who it's going to be. The person who's having the most fun in the episode, or the person who's the most interesting or doing something interesting. I'm going to have to give it to Miguel. Really? Oh, that's fair. Yeah, go on. I'm going to have to give it to Miguel, and here's why. I think Miguel has a very interesting path this season, and this episode definitely clarifies exactly what we're doing here which is Miguel as portrayed by Jolo has like this very Johnny energy Mm -hmm. to where he's very amiable but to take that and have him kind of lock in to Mr. LaRusso as a potential figure to imprint on or emulate is a very fun idea. To where he brings the Johnny enthusiasm to Miyagi-Do is a very fun idea, and it's a very interesting idea. In the early seasons, they set Miguel up to be a very Daniel LaRusso-like figure to where he's just kind of got, like, street smarts, and that's about it, and, like, he needed to be molded. But now he's got a lot more of his own integrity, but now it's being channeled in a different direction and i think it's super fun the way uh is playing it in this episode to where he isn't really aware that he's offending johnny with his newfound enthusiasm for miyagi Do and all daniel's nonsense right mm-hmm. like I, I think there's a lot of fun to be had there and they, they will definitely have some more fun with it before the season's over but this is the first opening salvos of that energy and i'm totally here for it i think you're that that's absolutely right on and they've always used miguel to surprise right Mm -hmm. in the beginning it was that he was kind of a nerd 
uh, a sweethearted nerd, but he he took on you know some of Johnny's magic characteristics, and then he went full Sith in the end of of season one and became aggro. And Johnny saw that reflected in Miguel and was upset about it. Then he thought twice of it, thought better of it, showed more growth, and then looked like he was going to be paralyzed. He went through a great struggle. To became the dream warrior. Became the dream warrior. Went through all of this stuff. But, you know, Miguel, I'm just so pleased to see him at this point because he is synthesizing all of these teachings, becoming his own person and creating an identity where he still cares about all these people. But he's he's looking at himself like, who am I? What am I doing? This is not my beautiful wife. This is not my beautiful house. How did I get here? Like, I have perspective from all of these people. And hey, Yacht Rock is pretty cool. Yeah. He's asking the big questions. Indeed. Easter eggs. Easter eggs. This episode's loaded with them. I think you gotta give it to to the Easter egg about uh, Mr. Harris, the history teacher. That is (laughs) a wild detail that is completely bonkers it's one of those easter eggs where it's just like do we need to know that i'm like i'm not sure now but now now we can't unknow it can't unknow can't unsee can't unhear i don't know don't want to think about it i don't know it's wild exactly that's that's my vote for one of the best easter eggs i mean although the bit with johnny hating top gun because he can only see it from Iceman's perspective i think is a great gag like it's a wonderful meta joke about just like it's two 80s icons kind of meeting in the night and Johnny giving Iceman kind of a virtual high five. <laughs> but also with the long view of history, Val Kilmer is kind of more interesting than Tom Cruise. Exactly. So, you know, exactly. there it is. I of course, I haven't seen the new Top Gun. Maybe they'll find some way to Fair. retcon all that business as well. So, My favorite Easter egg is without a doubt Daniel letting Miguel drive out of the repair bay and Miguel starting and stopping and starting and stopping because Daniel's face is just like, yep, this is how it is. Every time the circle turns again, here Mm -hmm. we go, starting and stopping. And that scene made me think of Pat and I'm actually kind of choked up about it. So that's going to be my favorite Easter egg. Absolutely. Well, I think we've pretty much broken down everything else Uh, did you have any other notes on your page before we go to the next bit i mean all i can say is if a tall silver tongued man and silver haired man comes up to you and says you need to identify your fear and turn it into a weapon you know maybe stop and think about why he's telling you that and then don't rush to identify your fear at first go to therapy fair enough yeah a good idea excellent well on that note please listen to us when we say like subscribe and rate us on itunes or your podcatcher of choice or on all the major ones spotify overcast you you name it you know check us out on instagram Mm -hmm. check us out on facebook i see we get new facebook followers practically every day which is very nice to see we just started an instagram we've posted some very interesting things from our (laughs) la trip and i will be posting more as we go on yeah follow us on twitter at karate kid pod where we will answer any questions you have about our show or we will attempt to answer anything about the karate kid or if you just have some awesome karate kid memes you want to send us we will be glad to repost them and if and if there's time after all that we might post some news or items of interest from around the miyagi verse indeed and if the lights ever go out at twitter you know that you can find us on facebook as well oh that's true there is that concern (laughs) yes there is (laughs) well 
Yeah. So there it Look, is, folks. We're out there. That's the point. You know where to find us. Exactly. Just type in at Karate Kid Pod. You'll get something. And so with that, I've been Colin Canada. I have been Jenny Carlson. So until next time with Cobra Kai Season 4, Episode 5, Match Point. Match Point. We will see you around the Miyagiverse. See you around the Miyagiverse. Are You Karate Kidding Me is hosted by Colin Canaday and Jenny Carlson. Intro music is by Chepo. Cobra Kai music is by Leo Bierenberg and Zach Robinson. Karate Kid music is by Bill Conti. Rate our show on Apple Podcasts or your podcatcher of choice to help grow our listenership. Email us at karatekidpod at gmail.com with questions and comments. Or find us on social media. Use the Twitter handle at karatekidpod. This podcast is independently produced by Geckring Media. Media.